glad to continue with you guys as we continue the morning. And, uh, and we're, we're in this series called Tension, celebrating the and of God in an either-or world. And, uh, and on July 17th, a guy named J.I. Packer, uh, a giant of the faith, uh, just passed away, I believe at the age of 95. And he was a man that promoted this value of celebrating the tensions and the end of God like no one else. Uh, here's what he said. Here's some of my favorite quotes coming from a book called Knowing God. If you've never read this book by J.R. Packer, Knowing God, I'd encourage you to go do that. But he says this. He says, there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When you truly know God, you have energy to serve him, boldness to share him, and contentment in him. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, though, but the larger fact which underlies it is the fact that he knows me. And so J.I. celebrated this, this reality of these tensions and, uh, and just passed away this past week, July 17th. Um, so if you've never read his book, Knowing God, I would deeply encourage you, go check that out. But uh, where we're headed tomorrow is service on the lawn. And, and just a reminder, doors will open or the lawn will open at 530. Uh, the service will be from 6 to 7. It'll be very casual. Bring some food uh, if you'd want to eat. Uh, bring a chair and, uh, and we'll just uh, hear some stories of God's faithfulness in our body and then sing a few songs and, and just pray for God's continued faithfulness in this world. But that's happening tomorrow, July 27th, and then next week, August 3rd. But an FYI, make sure you use the restroom beforehand because the, the restrooms will not be open. I repeat, the restrooms will not be open. But, but look forward to seeing you for, for just a gathering of the body, a service on our lawn. And then uh, August 15th, if you haven't signed up yet, we're doing a day trip. We, we've changed the parameters uh, just based upon the world we live in. But we still see value in gathering safely. Um, and August 15th, for the entire Saturday, we will be up at Camp Fairwood to just enjoy being together as a church family. So look forward to seeing you there. And, um, and in this series of tensions... Um, there's this question today that we're going to try and wrestle with that I, I, don't know if, I don't know if you've kind of noticed this, um, but there's this evil that exists in our world. Uh, I was reading, reading the news just recently just about some shootings in Chicago. Uh, the stat is that over the six months, 329 people have been killed in Chicago, up from 246 at this same time last year. Shootings... Uh, during the month of June, we're at 424 shootings in Chicago, up from 242. Uh, and if you can imagine an iceberg, that stat is just the very small fraction of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the, the evil exists. And so the question, the problem why, if God is so good, is there so much evil in the world? And it feels like people try and answer this question in a lot of ways. And, and it feels like there's some common explanations people come to when they address that, when they observe the reality of our world and they see evil that exists. There's questions 
Where's that come from? If, if there's a God, why is there evil in the world? And the way some people attempt to answer it is, is they just simply deny the existence of a God. There can't be a God in this world. If, if this evil exists, there can't be a God. But maybe they grew up in a faith-based community, and so instead of denying the existence of God, they simply walk away from the God that they've heard communicated because they, they've been confronted by the reality and the challenges of this life. And they simply just walk away from this God. Or third, potentially develop just an, an unbiblical view of who this God is, where they deny his goodness. There is a God, but he's just not truly good. Or develop another view that says he exists. There is a God, but he's just not sovereign, and they limit his power. But here's the challenge for me. Even in stepping into this, this problem of evil, that if there's good God, why is there so much evil in the world? The question even behind that question that, that feels even larger for me is, how, how did evil even get in this world? We have a desire to stop evil. I, I'm curious how it even got in this world. And here's the challenge we're confronted with when we read Scripture, that Scripture doesn't actually answer that for us. Instead, it already just begins the story with evil existing, and it doesn't deal fully on how it came to be. And so it leaves me, it leaves me with this, that, uh, that there's this tension that then I see expressed in the Bible that this evil is already here, and it gives me two characteristics of God that seem to be at odds at each other. That I have this tension of, of a God who will someday judge evil, and yet I look around and I see a God that's compassionate that seems to let evil exist. That I have a just God that, that says he's going to to, to end a good and sovereign God who's going to end evil, and yet I live in a world of a merciful and compassionate God. And sometimes it's hard for me to fit those two realities and characteristics of God together. And so we're going to try and press in today about God's patience and God's judgment. Because if I swing too far on one side, God's patience is meaningless without his eventual judgment but his judgment is merciless without his extreme patience. Because this topic is tied to a pretty heavy reality for me. And, and I don't consider myself a fire and brimstone preacher. Because sometimes it feels like when we start talking about God's judgment, it, it's tied to this idea of hell. And I almost feel like some people get excited when they talk about hell. But instead, I think this reality should bring us to tears. Because so often we want judgment for Hitler and Osama, and we say, man, David, bring us judgment for those, but, but David, I'm not that bad. But I want you to hear that you have a preacher that that has his own moral failings. Man, I, I, I've told lies in the past to try and get away with something that wasn't true. 
that, that I've shortchanged my view of people and, and, and gotten angry towards people that, have, that I've perceived as, as wronging me. That, uh, that I've made promises that I haven't kept. That I've lusted after things and pursued impure thoughts. That, that I've plotted and, and, and thought ill and evil towards someone else and tried to vindicate myself. And, and you might be thinking, David, David that's not so bad. <laughs> David, we've, we've all done that. That's, that's, that's nothing wrong or unique to you. To which I want to reply, precisely. And that's the problem that there is a good and holy and righteous God who is going to bring justice upon this earth and yet simultaneously we long for compassion and his mercy towards us and both of those exist and yet sometimes I wrestle with how that fully works. So here's where we're headed this morning. We see evil that exists and we ask why. So by stepping into this paradox of God's conflicting judgment and compassion, I don't think it actually produces a superficial faith. I actually think by wrestling with this, this tension this morning, it actually deepens and strengthens our view of who God is, who is patient with us and with our world, and yet always and ultimately will judge sin. So pray with me as we try and tackle a little bit more of God's character this morning. God, you're so good. We look around our world and we see that evil exists and, and though we don't fully understand or comprehend how it got into this world, it exists and we see it. And we see that you claim to be a God of justice and yet we also see this claim to be compassionate. Help us try and reconcile the two this morning. Uh, always for your glory we pray. Amen. So we're going to try and tackle those in three primary ways that God is ultimately and always judge of sin. And yet God is compassionate to save those who choose to walk with him. And I think that paradox, that tension arrives ultimately where the cross reveals the compassion and judgment of God are intimately connected. So when we talk about God's judgment, here's where I want to stand. I always love definitions. You love definitions? I love definitions. They bring some clarity. So when we talk about God's justice and judgment, here's, here's what we mean. That there's a God who acts equitably, acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case. And so we're going to press into to what that looks like as revealed in Scripture. And if you've noticed this, over the summer, we've spent more time wrestling with theological ideas. So rather than pressing into one specific text and going over it and over it and over it, instead, we've been looking at a broader sense of text as well. We're going to do that this morning and see God's consistent idea of justice throughout Scripture. Because here's what we see. God has the authority to judge and that's seen, I think, in Deuteronomy 32. Here's what the author, what Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 32. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His works are perfect for all his ways are justice. He has the authority and the right to judge. And he really hates this thing called sin and affront to who he is. 
not just in some comparison to these crazy characters throughout history, but actually embedded in the very person of, of, of uh, the person that we look at in the mirror every week. Hebrews 10, 30, 31 says this, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. There's this thing that I don't like and I'm gonna take care of it. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And God's judgment is complete and God's judgment is severe. Nahum 1, 2 to 6. Here's a small window of this judgment being carried out. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. The mountains quake before him the hills melt, the earth and heaven before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. God's judgment is complete and severe. That this is, this is heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. And it's final. He says this in Revelation about this coming justice. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to which, which will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Is that overwhelming? about the weight of what this judge means. And here's, as you heard Eric express a couple weeks ago, your mind might to go to a God who could just be perceived as angry. He just doesn't seem like a happy God. I mean, that, that kind of God, what do I want with him? It actually might lead me to be deeply afraid, live in shame or guilt. I have no affection towards that God of one who is so filled with judgment and acting justice. I have no desire, I could potentially, my mind goes to a place of I had no desire to commune with that God, no desire to share about that God, or could be disinterested with that God. But on the other side, we see something different. We could just feel this. Let me shift here. If our primary experience with God is one of fear, shame, and anxiety over performance-based acceptance of somehow appeasing and pleasing this God, it might be an unhealthy slant towards his judgment. And on the other side of that paradox, we see his compassionate patience, that God is actually always ultimately judging sin and yet simultaneously is compassionate to save those who choose to walk with him. Here's what we mean when we talk about God's compassion. That he's holding off judgment and providing deliverance for people who deserve only judgment and punishment. I, I was driving my kids, uh, I, I don't know if you could relate to this, but to give them a little treat to go get donuts. And I desperately want to give them donuts. I, I just want to celebrate and give them donuts. 
But one of my kids was fighting me like crazy. And everything in me wants to just say, forget you whining and complaining. Like, I, I don't, I'm going to give you as many chances as you possibly can because I want to give you donuts. Like, I, 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 I know these donuts are going to be so good for you. Maybe not healthy. You healthy people at home are wondering. But those donuts are going to be so good. And that patience for me wants to keep extending opportunity after opportunity after opportunity so one of my kids can go and ride with dad to get donuts. What we mean by God's compassion, holding off judgment and providing deliverance for people who deserve only judgment and punishment. And so we're going to look at a few texts just like we did on God's judgment about his compassion. Those who walk with God received a gift they didn't earn. Back in Ephesians, Paul says this, but because of his great love towards us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And those who have trusted in this God, that compassion overflows and, and, and we wanna trust him in all things. Here's another text that speaks to God's compassion and mercy. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We trust him in all things, in the slowness of how we might perceive things taking place. There's a compassion that he keeps extending out. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Those who trust God often have to wait, though, for this ultimate compassion to be lived out. Because here's what we see in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slow, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Because we might look around and say, man, I, I'm just confronted by all the evil that exists. God, what are you doing and are you really good? And yet God's compassion continues to overflow and overflow and overflow. But God's compassion does have a timestamp. For those who trust God, we do believe there is ultimate deliverance. And Jesus says this in a parable about the wheat and the tares. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among them and the wheat went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So his servant said to him, then, you do not, do you, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles and then to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. That God's compassion continues and continues and is allowing a certain amount of challenges to exist where the wheat and the weeds grow together until a time of harvest. But some of us might lean a little bit too fully seeing this compassion and saying the harvest feels forever away and we might lean in too strongly to this compassion. We might actually see this compassion at God as a pushover. That his compassion just feels good natured but, but he's rather aloof on, on the evil that seems to exist in our everyday experience. That, that, 
that I don't need to change my life because the harvest feels a long way off, and this God is, is incredibly compassionate. I'm not afraid and may have a naive confidence in this compassionate and patient God if I lean too far that way. My mind might go to no shame and no boundaries based upon the choices I make in life because God's patient and he's compassionate. And I might have very little affection for this God it might lead me to not have a desire to commune with him, just like the other extreme of his justice, and probably very little to no urgency to share about this good-natured, compassionate, long, long, long-suffering God. And I search empty wells for joy because I'm just not all that fascinated with this God. He's actually rather boring. When I go to either of those extremes of his judgment or his patience and compassion, I think we miss, we miss what God is doing when we look around and say, God, are you not aware of the evil that exists? If our primary experience with God is vaguely positive but with minimal interest for much investigation or pursuit, maybe our God is slanted too far towards his compassion. But just like my daughter, who I want to give donuts to, there was a point where I said, I'm sorry, honey, you're going to stay home and we're going to go and get donuts without you. That there comes a point when the patience and compassion reaches an end and there's metaphorical judgment. I think God always and ultimately judges sin. But God in our life right now extends great patience and compassion to save those who choose to walk with him. And I think these two characteristics of God collide and the cross reveals the compassion and judgment of God are intimately connected. Romans 5 tells us this. Paul says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from his own wrath. There, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son. How's that line? of God's compassion and justice crossed? How's that, how's that line reconciled? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order for that righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We may be very familiar with the story of the cross, but another layer in the beauty of this cross is it reconciles God's judgment that is ultimately coming with his incredible patience and compassion that he, that he showers on us. Where our minds might go is we go to God's justice being satisfied. 
that it's not just for the Hitlers and the Nazis of the world, but I actually look at my own moral failures and the brokenness of my own heart, and I recognize a need for justice to be levied against my soul. And yet I recognize God's great compassion coming at a great cost. My mind might go to overwhelming gratitude of, of what this looks like as I continue to see evil, but I know, God, this isn't forever. There's coming a day where we are bound for glory beyond this life. I, it's not going to last forever. And I'm in deep awe and inspiration and, and filled with deep affection for this God. And I long to commune with this God. I have a longing to share about this justice, this, this judge and compassionate God. And I'm going to live with greater reckless abandonment knowing that is the God that awaits and he's called me his own. And I no longer hold on to these grudges that might be keeping me from someone else. That's where my mind might go. But here's the challenge. <laughs> Today, I'm not feeling that. Today, that's not where my heart goes when I picture this judge and judgment that also is a God who is deeply compassionate. My mind doesn't go to that. Instead, instead I still see the hurt and the brokenness and the evil that's existing all around me. So here's how I want to transition to our next part of our service. I want to pray and lament. And so you're going to see some slides that go through Psalm 77 that cry out for this God that we're longing for, that we see with these two characteristics lived out. And you're going to see some questions that I hope give you a chance to reflect and lament some of the loss or the grief you might be experiencing personally at home. You heard at the beginning of our service some of what Jason and Karen are experiencing. Uh, I want to give you guys a chance to reflect on some of the grief that you might be lamenting right now. So pray with me as we enter into that time. God, we want to long to see your justice lived out and we want to feel the weight of your compassion and patience more fully. But, but right now, I, I'm not seeing that as fully. Instead, I see... I see some of the stats that we heard at the beginning of the service. I see some of the pain that exists around me. And I see the pain in my own life. God, may we lament and feel the freedom and permission to lament and grieve some of the circumstances that are going on in our life, in our world today. Thank you, Jesus.